0: Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. On October 27, 1995, thousands of ordinary citizens jammed a large urban square in downtown Montreal. The Sea of People waved Canadian and Quebec flags and loudly sang along to the national anthem. The people in the crowd that day traveled from all corners of the country to send a message to Quebecers. Please don't leave Canada. I'm Kathy Kanzora, and this is History of the 90s, a podcast about a decade that changed the world. On this episode, we're looking back at one of the most intense events in Canadian history. It might sound impossible today, but 28 years ago, this country was on the verge of breaking apart. This is the story of the 1995 Quebec Referendum. Before I talk about the events of 1995 that nearly led Canada's predominantly French-speaking province to leave the country, I have to take you back to a few other important moments in Canadian history. Starting with the 1960s, that's when the idea of an independent Quebec first began to percolate, during a time known as the Quiet Revolution. Initially, it was mainly a loose movement of young people who viewed sovereignty as a way to protect the French language, identity, and culture from being watered down. This movement began to pick up steam with the creation of several groups dedicated to an independent Quebec. There was one in particular called the FLQ, which in English stood for Quebec Liberation Front. They were a militant group of Quebec separatists who used violence to make their case for independence. Their rally cry was Quebec Libre, or Free Quebec. The FLQ terrorized the province throughout the 1960s with Molotov cocktails and bombs, targeting military facilities and government buildings. Their biggest act of destruction occurred in 1969, when they planted a bomb at the Montreal Stock Exchange, which injured 27 people and caused massive damage. But the FLQ is mostly remembered for another violent incident, referred to as the October Crisis. On October 5, 1970, FLQ separatists kidnapped James Cross, a British diplomat in Montreal, and Pierre Laporte, a Quebec cabinet minister. The group demanded that imprisoned members of the FLQ be released in exchange for the hostages. In response, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, father of Canada's current PM, Justin Trudeau, took to the airwaves to make a nationwide address.
1: I'm speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis, when violent and fanatical men are attempting to destroy the unity and the freedom of Canada.
0: Pierre Trudeau announced that the federal government had enacted the War Measures Act, which suspended civil liberties and allowed police to round up hundreds of FLQ members and supporters. But the measures didn't help police find the hostages, and tragically, before he could be located, Pierre Laporte was executed. 12 days after being kidnapped, his body was found stuffed in the trunk of a car at a Montreal area airport. James Cross, the British diplomat, was freed on December 3rd, 62 days after he was abducted. His five kidnappers were granted safe passage to Cuba, while Laporte's killers were captured and sent to jail. As a result of the October crisis, the FLQ lost support amongst Quebecers. But the nationalist movement continued to grow, thanks to a new political party. The Parti Québécois was established in 1968 with one main goal, independence. Under the leadership of René Lévesque, a feisty politician known for his ever-present cigarette in hand the Parti Québécois quickly rose to power, governing Quebec by 1976. The
2: victory of the Parti Québécois was a shock to everybody, including its leader, René Lévesque. The Quebec Separatist Party had not expected to win a full majority and therefore has to prepare itself, as well as the people of Quebec and Canada, for the kind of leftist government it wants to provide.
0: As soon as he was elected premier, René Lévesque made it clear that he would hold a referendum on Quebec independence. He campaigned for something called Sovereignty Association, which meant Quebec would become a politically independent state, but would maintain a formal association with Canada on economic matters. The referendum was held in 1980, and it was a dismal failure for Levesque. 60% of Quebecers voted against Sovereignty Association. Only 40% of Quebecers voted in favor of an independent Quebec. The loss was devastating for Levesque, but it laid the groundwork for the 1995 referendum. Before we get to 95, there's a couple of other important stops on this journey. The first is the repatriation of the Canadian Constitution from Britain in 1982. This was Canada's final step to becoming independent from Britain. But here's the catch. Quebec refused to sign the constitution. The province wanted to be recognized as a distinct society before agreeing to sign on, something that didn't sit well with many in the rest of Canada. On two separate occasions, the federal government proposed a distinct society clause be added to the constitution in an attempt to get Quebec to sign on. First time was in the 1987 Meach Lake Accord, and second time was the 1992 Charlottetown Accord. But on both occasions, it was rejected by the other provinces. This led to a whole new wave of nationalism that swept through Quebec. Polls at the time showed 68% of Quebecers were in favor of independence. In Ottawa, disgruntled Quebec MPs quit the Progressive Conservative and Liberal parties. They crossed the floor and created their own party called the Bloc Québécois, a federal political party entirely dedicated to one issue, Quebec independence. The Bloc, led by Lucienne Bouchard, a popular Quebec politician and former cabinet minister in Brian Mulroney's Conservative government, gained so many seats in the 1993 federal election, it became the official opposition to the federal government. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But... What if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally, and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so here we are in 1994. In Quebec, the Parti Québécois has been re-elected to run the province. The PQ is now led by Jacques Perizot, a blunt-talking hardline separatist with a blustery personality. He campaigned on the promise that he would hold another Quebec referendum within 8 to 10 months of being elected. This time, he planned to take a different approach than René Lévesque did 14 years earlier in 1980. Perizot didn't want sovereignty association, He just wanted Quebecers to vote yes or no on becoming an independent country. And then they'd work out the rest of the details later. Meantime, in Ottawa, his federal counterparts, the Bloc Québécois, thought Perizot should hang on a second. He needed some more support. His government had actually only received 44% of the popular vote in the provincial election, which wasn't the majority needed to win a referendum. Then something incredibly shocking happened. 55-year-old Lucienne Bouchard, the head of the Federal Bloc Québécois party, was admitted to hospital suffering from an extremely rare and often fatal illness. Bouchard had necrotizing myositis, a flesh-eating bacteria that devours muscles and skin tissue. It's a form of group A streptococcus, a common and harmless bacteria. But the deadly strain produces toxic waste that attacks deep layers of the skin, and in Bouchard's case, necrotizing myositis goes deeper into the muscle tissue. To save his life, doctors had to amputate Bouchard's left leg. On the morning of December 1st, 1994, Quebecers and all of Canadians for that matter, woke up to the headlines that Bouchard... A married father of two young boys was hanging between life and death. The next day, doctors held a news conference to say that Bouchard would survive. The news conference was held live on TV, and during a very dramatic moment, one of Bouchard's doctors held up a handwritten note from Bouchard. Scribbled in French were four words that translated to Please carry on. Thank you. People at the news conference erupted into applause. Bouchard's miraculous recovery catapulted him from a popular politician in Quebec to a living legend. 12 weeks after falling ill, he was back on Parliament Hill to fight for Quebec independence. Meantime, Jacques Perizot was still pushing for a referendum in the spring of 1995, despite polls showing that he was losing ground. Remember, Perizot didn't want sovereignty association. He just wanted voters to say yes or no on separation and that was something Bouchard was adamantly against. All of the internal bickering within the separatist movement was really starting to tear things apart. Then Jacques Parizeau swallowed his pride and took a step to keep the sovereignty movement on track. He agreed to put off a vote until the fall of 1995, and he agreed to work with Bouchard and Mario Dumont, the leader of the ADQ, another Quebec political party, to come up with a referendum question that worked for everyone. In September 1995, the exact question that would be in the referendum was finally revealed. And it was long and complicated. Are you ready? Here goes. Do you agree that Quebec should become sovereign after having made a formal offer to Canada for a new economic and political partnership within the scope of the bill respecting the future of Quebec and of the agreement signed on 12 June 1995? It was a lot, but essentially it meant if Quebecers voted yes, they would begin talks with the federal government in an effort to establish a political and economic partnership. If those talks fail, Quebec would have the mandate to go it alone without a partnership in one year's time. Prime Minister Jean Chrétien was furious. He said the separatists were trying to confuse Quebecers with a question that wasn't clear or direct. And he mocked the separatists for demanding independence, but wanting to keep the Canadian dollar and their Canadian passports. And
3: they say at the same time that they want to stay in Canada. The economists last week uh, they, they, they had the title. They want a divorce today and they want to be lovers tomorrow. So it's not a very clear question, Mr. Speaker.
0: At this point, Krechen was still so confident that the Federalists would win that he wouldn't even discuss the what ifs. But some big companies in Quebec, like Bombardier, were beginning to get a little worried. And they started threatening to pull out of a separate Quebec. MPs in Ottawa wanted to know what the government was planning to do if it happened. But Chrétien wasn't talking. Finally, on October 1st, 1995, Jacques Parizeau made it official when he dropped the writ. A referendum would be held on October 30th. With the announcement, an intense 30-day campaign began inside Quebec. Jacques Parizeau was the leader of the yes side, while the no side was led by Daniel Johnson, the low-key leader of Quebec's Liberal Party. In Ottawa, the Prime Minister was told to keep a low profile. Essentially, the government's strategy was to stand back and let Quebecers make the right decision. Then, seven days into the campaign, Jacques Perizot surprised everyone when he stepped aside as leader of the yes side. He appointed Lucien Bouchard as chief negotiator for Quebec and assigned him to take over the campaign. Dave Trafford was the news director at Talk 640 Radio in Toronto during the 90s, the station I also worked at. He says bringing in Bouchard was a big move.
2: Lucien Bouchard was a voice to be reckoned with, and certainly a voice to be reckoned with if you were going to get the vote out. So I think there was a pretty powerful uh, element to his involvement there.
0: Bouchard was already extremely popular in Quebec, but now he was being treated like a messiah everywhere he went. People asked him to bless their Quebec flags, and they reached through crowds hoping just to touch him. The no side appeared to be caught off guard by Lucien Bouchard's popularity. Business leaders and politicians worried that Prime Minister Chrétien and the federal government weren't putting up a strong enough fight. Brian Tobin, one of Chrétien's own cabinet ministers, spoke out against the lack of action. He said it was like the government was asleep, walking toward the end of Canada. Meantime, financial markets also started to take a hit, and Quebecers began transferring millions of dollars from banks in Quebec to banks in other Canadian provinces or the U.S. They were worried that an independent Quebec wouldn't accept Canadian currency. And the Quebec government started secretly hoarding millions of dollars so they would have enough money to stabilize banks if they needed to. With everyone on edge, everyday Canadians and others started taking matters into their own hands. A few grassroots campaigns popped up across the country aimed at reaching out to Quebecers. One group started going through phone books and calling people in Quebec, urging residents to stay in Canada. Dave Trafford says those phone calls weren't just a stunt. They helped start conversations.
2: So if you were talking to somebody in Quebec and said, you know, their answer after they hung up was to talk to their friends and family, saying somebody in Manitoba phoned me and said, hey, you know, before you vote, think of this. Um, I I, I think that that was critical.
0: Then a week before the vote, a group of Quebec businessmen began planning a rally in Montreal in favour of the no side. When Federal Cabinet Minister Brian Tobin heard about the rally idea, he jumped on it. Remember, he was the one who was worried Canada was sleepwalking to its demise. Tobin called political leaders across the country in every province and encouraged them to gather as many people as possible and send them to the rally in Montreal. It would be held at noon on Friday, October 27th, three days before the referendum. Every available bus in New Brunswick and Eastern Canada was booked to take citizens to the unity rally. Plane tickets were also booked from opposite ends of the country, from British Columbia to Newfoundland. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Jean Chrétien finally took the gloves off and stepped in as the point man for the no-side, taking over from the lackluster Quebec Liberal leader, Daniel Johnson. On Wednesday, October 25th, five days before the referendum, Chrétien made an impassioned plea in a televised speech to the nation. It was the first such address since the time Pierre Trudeau invoked the War Measures Act.
3: The decision that will be made is serious and irreversible, with deep, deep consequences. What is at stake is our country. What is at stake is our heritage, to break up Canada or build Canada. The end of Canada will be nothing less than the end of a dream. The end of a country that has made us the envy of the world. Canada is not just an, any country. It is unique. It is the best country in the world.
0: Chrétien warned Quebecers not to be fooled by the separatists, who had campaigned on the platform that separation was about getting a better economic partnership with Canada.
2: The Chrétien had gone on television probably too late um, you know in, in that respect but that sort of punctuated the oh, there's some urgency here because the Prime Minister now it feels that this time he has to get on the air and make a national address. So I think it started to you know pick up momentum fairly quickly so that by the time we got on the buses to go to Montreal, yeah there was a there was a, an existential concern I think in terms of how this was going to turn out.
0: On Friday, October 27th, Dave Trafford was among the tens of thousands of Canadians who converged on Montreal for the No Sides Unity Rally. After a 4 a.m. wake-up call, he boarded a bus in Toronto to make the journey to Quebec, sending the radio station live reports like this one.
4: We're getting the first impression, I think, of just how large this group is. Uh, We are counting, we got a guy here counting buses. What are we up to now?
1: 22
4: Twenty-two buses have gone by or are in this parking lot, and we're at the Esso station just outside of Brockville. Each one of these buses, of course, carrying about 50, maybe 55 people.
0: Dave's two kids, along with a few of their friends, joined him on the trip. In fact, that little voice you just heard in the archive audio was Dave's six-year-old son.
2: With the kids on the bus, it really grounded that group of 40 or 50 people who were there saying, OK, this is what this is about. This is our future on the bus, <laughs> right? This is what we need to be thinking and talking about.
4: Well, we're, we're, we are now in Quebec. Interestingly enough, as we hit the border, this, uh, the, the bus erupted into applause. Uh, the major part of the journey is over. We have, for the most part, arrived at, 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 the, uh, at the intention. Now the goal, of course, is to get to Montreal.
0: Organizers hope that somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people would show up for the unity rally at the de Canada in Montreal. But when Dave finally arrived, it was clear that many more people answered the call.
2: I've been in some large crowds, but it was far more dense. It was shoulder to shoulder, very uh, tightly packed group. So it, it, that was what was, for me was overwhelming, was that we not only had that intensity,
4: we had that density <laughs> of, of a crowd I, I, in Montreal, tens of thousands of people, perhaps as many as 150,000, from across the country and Quebec, converged on downtown Montreal. They took every means of transportation possible to make a plea to Quebecers to stay in Canada.
0: The scene was frenetic. Many in the crowd waved Canadian and Quebec flags, and they sang along loudly with the national anthem. And when Prime Minister Courten took the stage, he was given a rock star's welcome.
1: And I'm telling you all those who come from parts of Canada, that we will do what is needed. We will make the changes that are needed. We will do what is needed so that at the beginning of the next century, Canada will move in the 21st century, united from sea to sea, proud of its two official languages.
2: He understood what the crowd wanted, and he gave it back to them so that they could in kind respond.
1: To all of you who have come in plane, in train, in buses, in car, come from British Columbia, from Alberta, from Saskatchewan and Manitoba, from Nova Scotia from from New Brunswick and Ontario our neighbors
2: you knew that there were people from across the country there yeah you, you know we 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 knew that people were coming in on the trains and planes and buses and so on but not until then did you really appreciate holy crap <laughs> people have made an effort here to to really get here. And whether that changed anything in the no vote, um, I, I don't know whether or not that prompted more people in Quebec to come out, whether it galvanized that vote, because clearly the majority of the people in that rally were not able to vote in in the referendum. But I think it made a difference.
0: In fact, there was an immediate change in the polls. Prior to the rally, the yes side had been leading for several days, but a poll taken after the rally showed the two sides were now deadlocked. The vote could go either way. Meantime, the prime minister had yet to say what would happen if the yes side actually won. Behind the scenes, however, the federal government had in fact started making plans. Security was beefed up at key government buildings in Quebec, and the Minister of Defence instructed all F-18 jets at military bases in Quebec to be removed. They flew out in small groups the weekend before the vote, so as not to raise attention. They went to bases in the U.S. to await the final decision on Canada's future. On Monday, October 30th, there were long lineups at polling stations throughout the province, with 94% of Quebecers casting a ballot.
2: This is Talk 640, news at
4: age. Six degrees at the Young Norton Centre. Good evening, I'm Dave Trapper. The polls are closed. Millions of Quebecers have cast their ballots, voting yes or no, whether or not they want to remain part of this confederation or opt out in favour of an independent Quebec.
0: When the first votes started to trickle in, the yes side was leading two votes to one. It was early, but the strong showing by the yes side made people nervous, including Dave Trafford, who was on the air co-hosting special referendum night coverage with radio personality Roy Green.
2: What you heard out of the radio was one thing, but we're sitting across from various other studios from each other, and all I can remember is, you know, Roy's wide eyes looking at me through the glass as this was as this was rolling out. So there was, um, you know, a, a, a real sense of, oh boy, where is this gonna go? And when do you actually call it, right? I, the voter turnout was crazy. Right? So you had to wait for every vote
4: to be counted here.
0: But as the night wore on, the tide began to turn. And the no side started catching up.
4: The latest results we have right now, with about 87, 88% of the polls reporting across Quebec, we have got 4 million votes cast. And right now, practically, the difference is about one percentage point between the no and the yes side. The no right now holding a very slim lead.
0: Finally, at 10.20 p.m., the no side was declared the winner. Canada would remain united. The final results were 50.58% for the no side. 49.42% voted yes. The separatist dream was extinguished by the smallest margin imaginable. The no side won by just 54,000 votes. After the loss, an angry Jacques Parizeau addressed his supporters with a speech that shocked even some of his
1: staff.
0: In French, he said, we are beaten, it is true, but by what? Basically by money and ethnic votes. The money referred to the Federalist campaign spending in violation, in his opinion, of Quebec law. And the ethnic votes was a reference to the nearly 20% of Quebec's population who are English speakers or immigrants. This relatively large multicultural community, which included English Canadians, Jews, Italians, Spanish, Portuguese, Chinese, and Haitians, voted overwhelmingly against secession. Perizzo went on to say in the speech, Let us talk about us, the 60% of Francophones who voted in favor of separation. We will have our own revenge, and we will have our own country. His shocking remarks drew criticism from a variety of sources in Quebec and outside of the province. Some wondered if perhaps Perizot had too much to drink that night. At a news conference the next day, a reporter asked, Sir, last night was your usual good judgment impaired by alcohol? Perizot answered an indignant no. Either way, Jacques Perizot's tenure as premier was over. At that same news conference, the premier announced his resignation. In a cloud of controversy, Lucien Bouchard took over as Quebec's premier, and he promised to hold another referendum if winning conditions for one appeared. That never happened. Lucien Bouchard resigned from politics in 2001 without ever calling a referendum. Jacques Parizeau died in June 2015 at the age of 84. Before his death, he took aim at his successor. He said Bouchard had the reflexes of a loser and he would not have resigned if he knew Bouchard would not hold another referendum. And even though the Federalists won, it wasn't by a lot. And many blamed Prime Minister Chrétien and accused him of mishandling this monumental moment in Canadian history. Kretchen's legacy was also tarnished because of it. But his government did take steps to address a possible future referendum. In 2000, the Clarity Act was passed, which set ground rules for any future referendums and negotiations on secession. For example, moving forward, the federal government would have the final say on the wording on any future referendum questions. And the government would have the final say on what margin the separatists need to win by. In response, the Quebec government passed Bill 99, which is often referred to as the Anti-Clarity Act. It declared that Quebecers alone could determine the political regime and legal status of the province, and that a majority of 50% plus one is enough to ensure victory in a referendum. In the years since, talk of Quebec independence has faded dramatically. A poll done in 2020 found that only 32% of Quebecers would be in favor of separating from Canada. The current premier of Quebec, Francois Legault, has said his party, the CAQ, would never hold a referendum, and instead, his government promotes Quebec nationalism rather than separation from Canada. In that regard, Legault's government has strengthened the province's French language laws, and banned certain public servants, including teachers and police officers, from wearing religious symbols like hijabs on the job. Federally, the Bloc Québécois, the party created by Lucien Bouchard, currently holds 32 seats in the federal government, which is enough to give it official party status. Under leader Yves-Francois Blanchet, the party remains committed to the promotion of Quebec sovereignty. And following the death of Queen Elizabeth in 2022, it called on the federal government to sever ties with the British monarchy, describing it as an incredibly racist and archaic institution. Today in 2023, talk of sovereignty within Canada is more likely to be heard in Alberta, where the provincial government recently passed a controversial bill called the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. It essentially allows the province to ignore federal laws if it determines those laws are harmful to Alberta's interest or if deemed a constitutional overreach. Alberta's premier, Danielle Smith, says the act has nothing to do with leaving the country, but the province's opposition party is skeptical, calling the act a separatist Trojan horse. Thanks for listening to this look back at a very important event in Canadian history. Many listeners have asked for this topic to be covered, including J.F.O. Ferguson, Isaac, Brooke, Jean Roca, Clements, and Chris Schultz. Thanks to each of you for taking the time to let me know what kind of things you want to hear about. If you have any suggestions, make sure to send me a message, either through social media or email. All of my contact info is in the show notes. And a very special thanks to Dave Trafford for chatting with me about the events of 1995. Dave hosts a few great podcasts, including On the Ledge, my personal fave, which takes a deep dive into Ontario politics. If you want to hear my full interview with Dave, no problem. Just head over to www.patreon.com slash history of the 90s, where subscribers always get access to uncut interviews. This episode was hosted and written by me, Kathy Kinsora. Our producer is Dila Velasquez. Sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. See you next time for more History of the 90s. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does.